Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. My name is Adam Vermontis. Uh, I'm an assistant pastor at a local church here uh, in Colleen. Uh, great friends with uh, Dave McMurray. Uh, so grateful that you've invited me to be here. Love all the work that God is doing here at Grace Bible Church. God is at work. He's changing lives. He's uh, working in hearts, and the gospel is being proclaimed. So uh, thank you for having me. Uh, with that said, if you're a first-time visitor here today, uh, don't make your uh, decision about this church based on the, today's speaker. Uh, please come back next week. Uh, Dave actually assigned me a passage uh, from Galatians. In fact, if you want to go ahead and start turning there, we're in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, we've been working through the book of Galatians, I think, for several weeks now. Uh, today's passage is in, in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. And when Dave told me, you know, he, he gave me this text that was assigned to me. I wondered if this was, uh, this was kind of sneaky of Dave. It's kind of a difficult passage. It's a little different. You know, there's a lot of grand and glorious uh, passages in Galatians. This is not necessarily one of them. Um, but Dave's actually preaching the same passage over in Kempner. So uh, he just, uh, they're committed. Uh, Grace is committed to preaching through the Bible. And wherever you fall, that's where you're at. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing. I love that. So we're in Galatians chapter 4 today. Uh, beginning in verse 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, there are some located in the chairs in front of you there. Uh, the passage for today is found on page 974 uh, on those Bibles. So if you want to follow along. Today's word comes from us, uh, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, going down through verse 20. Let's attend to God's word. The Apostle Paul writes, <clears throat> Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and kind Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves to hear from you. You have given us your word, the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. And so, Lord, we turn now to your word asking that you would uh, open our eyes and hearts and minds to see and to believe uh, it and to see Jesus as beautiful and believable today. Would you do that work in us and for your glory? And we pray these things in Christ's matchless name. Amen. Uh, I'm not sure what your um, interaction on Facebook or the internet looks like these days. I am a, a full-blown participant in social media and, and Facebook in particular. Um, but as we assess kind of the culture we're in and the, the Facebook era that we all are currently participating in, we see it is more and more easy to build more and more relationships uh, online and, and virtually and, and through texting and through all of these different these means. And Uh, If you're an average Facebook user, statistically speaking, you have 338 friends, so so says the the World Wide Web. Um, And so there is this this reality that 
that we live in a time in history when we know more people than ever, and really we know nobody. Uh, My wife often comments on my uh, frequent uh, accessibility I have to Facebook. Any and anyone who wants to be my friend on Facebook pretty much can. Uh, If there is a a friend book request, a Facebook request, I will let them be my friend. But the, the reality is, is that a real relationship? Today's passage falls in this place of Galatians where, where the Apostle Paul gives us a, a picture, a, a glimpse of his relationship with the Galatian church. Uh, for those of you that may have not been here and been through this book, uh, Paul has, uh, uh, is the church planner of, of the church in Galatia. He started this church, he proclaimed the gospel, built up the believers, established elders, elders and then went elsewhere. And so Paul is writing to the Galatians because there has been a false teaching that has crept up in their midst. A false teaching that has been adding on to the gospel. It is said, believe Jesus plus circumcision. It is believe Jesus plus the law. It is Jesus plus works. And Paul has been addressing that thoroughly in this letter. In today's passage, we see a relationship that has been established and rooted in the gospel. C.S. Lewis, a Christian famous author, in his book, The Four Loves, uh, he, he talks about friendship in one, of those, in one of those sections. There's four loves, eros, affection, charity, and, and, and friendship. And at the beginning, in the introduction to that book, he, he says this. He says, he says, we are all born helpless. He says, uh, as soon as we become fully conscious, we uh, acknowledge loneliness. We need others physically, emotionally, intellectually. We need them to know, our, to know anything, even to know ourselves. And so C.S. Lewis picks up in this book this intimate theme of needing relationships. And today, as we look at this passage and dive into it together, we can look at this from a number of perspectives relationally. You may be here today thinking of uh, personal friendship, and that is indeed there You may be looking at this as relationship to leaders in the church, and that is certainly there. You may be looking at this from romantic perspective and relationships. You may be looking at this for for your own um, marriage, whether it be uh, current and and strengthened or failing, or maybe you're single and you're thinking through relationship in that realm. All of these things will apply as we we look at what a a, a gospel-centered relationship looks like. Jesus in the Gospel of John tells his disciples as he's heading towards the cross and in some of his later days, he says that by this they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Gospel-centered relationships is a picture of what the church is. The church, one of the most compelling things about Christianity in the church is the relationships that are withstood within it. There are three things that I want to want to draw out of this passage, and and I want you to see it in the text, and we're going to kind of apply some of it. There are three things that I want you to see in this passage about gospel-centered relationships. There are three things that gospel-centered relationships provide. They demonstrate doctrine, they provide protection, and they cultivate conformity to Christ. Let's first talk about demonstrating doctrine. Uh, In seminary, Uh, My preaching professor uh, frequently warned us of the dangers of the deadly bees. Uh, The deadly bees are this inclination that some in broad evangelicalism have to highlight the heroes of the Bible and tell others, be like them. For instance, be like Moses, 
in all of his faithfulness in leading the people through the wonders. Be like Noah in the midst of troubled times. Stay faithful to God's task. Be like David, King David, a man after God's own heart. And that is dangerous. They are deadly because what you do ultimately when, when you are placing that is you are putting an expectation, a crushing and blowing expectation on someone that cannot ultimately fulfill that. And so on one sense, we should be hesitant on telling people, be like me as I follow Christ. But Paul has no trouble in doing that. If you look at verse 12, he, he tells the Galatians, he says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. And in the context, the, the becoming like Paul is becoming like Paul in his suffering. Uh, this is not an arrogant or even a deadly or dangerous statement that Paul is making because of its reciprocation. He says, I have become like you. And so he's saying, become like me in my suffering just as I became like you in your enduring my suffering. What we know about Paul and what this passage seems to tell us is that the way that he ended up at the church of Galatia to establish that church is by God's providential hand pushing him there through the bodily ailment. The bodily ailment, we don't know what that is. Some suggest that maybe it's the thorn in the flesh from Corinthians 12 that Paul talks about. Others suggest that maybe Paul needed to, to go to that region in order to seek out some medical attention to recover some of, from some of his injuries that he had received uh, because of his persecution in the faith. Uh, the, the context maybe seems to suggest that he had some sort of eye malady. If you look in verse 15, it says that the Galatians would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So maybe he had something going on there. We're not, we're not totally sure what happens, but, but what we see is, is Paul was suffering and the Galatians endured his suffering alongside of him and embraced him in it. I mean, just, just back up for a minute and think, if you were, you were the Galatians, they had, they had not heard the gospel, but he, Paul, previously Saul of Tarsus, had, he had a reputation for hating and killing and persecuting Christians. And here comes this previously Saul of Tarsus to come and tell you about Christianity, and he is limping in ale. He's broken in the flesh. And you can only imagine... What's going on? I mean, in that cultural context, they would have thought that, that the ailment was associated with a divine curse. If you're sick, some, you've done something wrong. And so here Paul comes to establish this church broken, and the Galatians receive him, embrace him, and love him as though it were their own suffering. The Galatians exemplified grace by giving up what was most precious to them. They gave up finances. They gave up security. They gave up comfort. They, they, they put themselves at great risk to embrace another believer. Demonstrating doctrine happens in relationships. Your relationships with other believers and non-believers uh, are a window to the gospel. And people are looking through those windows. When other people see you suffering for the sake of your faith and enduring with others in the midst of theirs, they are getting a picture of doctrine. They are getting a picture of the gospel that Paul has been so precariously preserving in the book of Galatians. When, other, when others observe Christians willing to suffer for their faith, they see that what is most precious to them is at stake, and it becomes precious to others. Gospel-centered relationships demonstrate doctrine in a way that persuades others to believe in it. Secondly, gospel-centered relationships provide protection. Um, I was uh, 
scheduled to come and, and, and open God's Word to you earlier this summer, and I was able to do that uh, due to a, a rock climbing injury. Some of you have, may have heard this story. Rumors were flying. Um, but if, if any of you, I know we know a few people here, but um, my wife knows me the best, and she knows that I am accident prone. Um, I have had run-ins with chainsaws and propane gas grills, and uh, I've dislocated my shoulder, and now I broke my ankle falling from a rock wall, and all of that is just in the past so five to seven years, so you get the picture. Um, uh, but, but my wife knows that I am accident prone. She knows my inclinations. Nonetheless, this summer, she planned an adventurous date for us to rock climb. And this is not me blame shifting on my wife, I promise. Uh, it is not. It was totally my fault. But, but, but my wife knows my inclination, and against maybe our better judgment together, we've decided to pursue rock wall climbing. And to make that, that hideous story short and brief, I didn't use the rope. That's more than a recommendation. Use the rope. Um, but but the, point, the point is, my wife knew my inclinations toward accident, and, and we try to, to the best to protect me from all of that. And the same is true in our relationships, that, that when we know each other well enough to protect each other from our inclinations, that's the protection the relationship should offer us. Honesty is a means of protection. Look at the way Paul puts it in verse 16. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? This is Paul, their planting pastor, telling them the truth they need to hear, and in hearing it, the Galatians are offended enough to think that Paul is their enemy. The false teaching has crept into the church in a way that it is questioning all of the relationships that they have already established in the gospel. The false teachers we see are doing a couple of things. In verse 17, Paul says that they, that is the false teachers, the Judaizers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. In other words, these Judaizers were puffing up the Galatian believers in law. Because naturally, that's what works of the law do. When we think we can do something to earn God's favor, it thinks that we have contributed to the formula in some form or fashion. And Paul has negated that throughout Galatians. No man shall be justified by works of the law, but only by faith through Christ. And so Paul is saying these false teachers, they build you up, they puff you up spiritually, and they do it to one end, to isolate you and exclude you, that you would make much of them. Verse 17, they want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. So that's the inclination of the Galatian believers, that's our inclination, is to be spiritually puffed up, and then to be isolated and excluded from community and relationships. That is the tendency, that is the inclination, that is what we need to know in our own relationships. And so, as we think through relationships and how they can provide protection for us, if we know these things to be true, what are some questions that we can answer for ourselves and assess them in light of the gospel? One of them would be something like this. Are you willing to receive feedback from others, criticism from your relationships, even when it stings? Can you take that honest truth from someone when they give it to you in love? Now, there is certainly a wrong way to extend that criticism. But can you receive it? The only reason you would be able to receive criticism is when you realize that at the cross of Christ, you were ultimately critically, uh, savagely critiqued there. 
The cross of Jesus Christ is the critique on your life. Left to yourself, that is what we deserve. In the cross of Christ, we see sin coming into the presence of a holy God. And in the cross of Christ, we see the the realities of our hearts and our lives judged in the sight of a, a holy God. And when you can embrace that in a hurtful way, because the gospel is offensive, the cross offends. But when you can see that truth, then the, the criticism and the feedback of others in love for you doesn't sting so much. That's what gospel-centered relationships can do. Or maybe the other way around. Can you, can you get over your fear of rejection and offer honest, loving criticism to others? Because I, I, I'm going to be honest, we live in a culture that does not like confront, confrontation. We will do everything in our power to avoid the confrontation that needs to happen. And the only way you can get over that fear that someone's going to reject you and potentially end that relationship is if you know that in the gospel you've been ultimately received. That, that Jesus was rejected in a way that you could be embraced. And when you know that God will never leave you nor forsake you, that he is with you and for you because of what Christ has done on your behalf, then you can put your other relationships at risk because that relationship is not at risk. That is what gospel-centered protection looks like in our relationships. Paul goes on to say in in verses 19 down to 20, and he he begins to to talk about these um, gospel-centered relationships in in a way that that others are conformed to Christ. And he uses this, this imagery of a pregnancy. Now, I, I noticed in first service, uh, there are not many children in here. I, I, you've got a pretty extensive children's program. Apparently next week's going to be lively, so maybe I should have come on that week. But I know there are children around here. Um, I've been around Grace Bible. We visited, and I know there's children around here. So most of us, uh, I, I realize men, we, we'll never fully understand pregnancy. Let's not act like we do. Uh, women, some of you have experienced it. Maybe some of you haven't, and maybe you've wanted to. But nonetheless, we are, we are familiar with this imagery of pregnancy. And pregnancy behind that is the idea that somebody must suffer in order for life to be given. That in the midst of the pain, the suffering, and all of th- that entails pregnancy, something beautiful and joyful is brought forth, namely a child in our earthly, well, in our earthly realm. Well, well, Paul likens this suffering... Uh, to, to himself. He says, I am in anguish in childbirth over you. There is a pain in Paul for the Galatian believers and what's going on in their context. But then he goes on and he, he swaps the metaphor. And he says, Galatians, the, 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 until Christ is formed in you, so the Galatians become the pregnant ones ultimately, that Christ is being conformed in them. And here's the point that Paul is making explicitly clear that Painful endurance is required in order for us to be conformed to Christ. That that our growth in Christ ultimately does not come in the highs of life, it comes in the valleys. That, that, That in the valleys of our brokenness and in our suffering is when Christ becomes more real and more present than he ever has been before. And that's where Paul says he is for the Galatians. That's where Paul says in abandoning and leaving the gospel in which he left them with has left them. That there is painful endurance required. Conformity to Christ requires the presence of other people. 
This simply was never intended to be a Lone Ranger adventure. Christianity in the the Bible, the New Testament and Old Testament has always, always been community driven. And so, I mean, you, you, you analyze your life and you think about relationships you have and and I know there's, there's a, a large military contingent here in our, in our community. And so you think about, you know, all of these maybe surface level relationships we have or, you know, virtual relationships that we have. And, and, and you never really dive in behind them. Another Facebook reference here. So my family, um, this is a picture of my family here. Cute boys, lovely wife. This picture was like my most popular. I'll abuse this picture all day long. I put this everywhere. It's on our church planning stuff. I love this picture. It's great. But there is so much more behind this picture, right? There is so much more than meets the eye. This is the facade that Facebook presents our lives with. If you want to know me and you want to know that that picture was taken in Albuquerque and and right before we conned a a grin from our oldest, Jaden, and Micah, who refuses to smile, looks at least cordial there, um, before that happened, there, was cert- there were sword fights involved, rocks. We were right by a river, um, and, you know, four and a two-year-old by a river. Mom's a mess. I'm a mess. It's tense. That's all that was behind that facade. And, and the point was, if you want to know me, you have to come into the, to the trenches of life. That is not me. That is not us. And that is what we see in our constant surface-level, Facebook-oriented virtual relationships, but that's not what Christ is, or what, what Paul is after in conforming us to Christ. Conformity without community is not possible. It's not. Our inclination, as was the inclination of the Galatian believers, is to isolate ourselves and exclude ourselves. Now, I know that temptation. I know your temptation. It is easier for us to just contain to our own lives to not get involved in it, particularly, and I'm not picking on you military, I just know that's our context, particularly in a, in a population that is constantly transient. You come into a church or into a community and you know you're going to be here for whatever, less than three years, two years, you're going to be deploying, all of that, and you're asking yourselves, why, why should I invest? Why would I commit all of that time and effort to a relationship when I know I'm just passing through? And the reason is because conformity to Christ is at stake. That there is no conformity to Christ without community. That this is where growth takes place in the gospel. I know um, in this room, not for a fact, but just assuming on the sides of this group, that there are people here that are lonely. You are perhaps single and you want a relationship, a romantic relationship. Perhaps you are in your marriage and you are struggling, you are fighting to hold this thing together, and there's some loneliness there, there's some emptiness, there's some hurts and hang-ups going on. Uh, Church, maybe you've been hurt by a church, and you do not want to get involved in a church like that again. You've been hurt, your family's been hurt, and you ask yourselves, why? And I I say that, and I kind of want to lead towards this, in in saying that that gospel-centered relationships horizontally are not ultimate, and they're not primary. That without the gospel itself, knowing of what God has done for sinners in Christ, this means nothing. That the the gospel shows us how Christ perfectly satisfies all of the relationship's longings that linger in our hearts. 
Consider how Jesus satisfies the idea that a gospel-centered relationship demonstrates doctrine. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about Jesus, and he says that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was the God-man, but he was man. He knew your loneliness. He knew it. Loneliness is not a result of the fall. Relationships were established before our rebellion and sin against the holy God. God gave Adam Eve in the garden because man was not suffice on his own. He needed a partner. Jesus knew our loneliness. He came and he emptied himself. He divested himself of everything willingly so that lonely people could be filled with him. Paul goes on and he, he, he says in Philippians 2, he says, and being, formed, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I know that's a familiar thing for you, but let us dwell there for a moment. That the ultimate protection that you need in your relationships is not protection from each other, but protection from God. What we see on, on Calvary's cross is, is that the perfect man who perfectly fulfilled all of God's law willingly embraced death on a cross. And there was nothing so horrendous and outspoken in the time about death on a cross. It was common. Criminals, in fact, too, were beside him. But what was extraordinarily profound about the death of Christ on the cross is the one who was suffering it. The unique and only Son of God, eternally begotten, never created, the one who had always existed and always will exist in union with God the Father, God the Spirit. That one came, emptied himself, became like us, and then willingly went to the cross. And on the cross, he took the cup. He took the cup of God's wrath that you and that I deserved, and he drank it. He drank it from top to bottom. He satisfied all of God's holy wrath, took it upon himself, and then God the Father abandoned him. He left him hanging on that cross to die for our sins. He was put in a tomb and all but forgotten by the world. That is what ultimate protection looks like. Knowing that God's just and righteous judgment no longer stands against us but fell on him. That is the good news of the gospel. But then it goes on to say in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and under earth and uh, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Conformity to Christ rests in knowing that Jesus has satisfied everything for you. His resurrection guarantees that no longer will sin, Satan, and death trouble you. That in that victory, Jesus has established a vertical relationship that cannot be taken. And in knowing that, in being rooted in that, this horizontal mess begins to make sense. Without the gospel, this doesn't make sense. This is not worth investing in. But in the gospel, we are free to do that. The gospel, gospel-centered relationships show us doctrine. They demonstrate to us what the gospel looks like. Your lives are a window to the gospel for others. Gospel-centered relationships provide protection. 
You are to protect each other, to love each other, to share truth with each other at the risk of even being rejected because Jesus will never reject you. And lastly, gospel-centered relationships cultivate conformity to Christ. That at the very outset of Paul's ministry here is that Christ would be formed in us through the gospel. It happens in face-to-face interaction. It happens in investing in each other. And it happens in and through the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, how blissful the thought that the Son of Man would suffer at your hands to reconcile sinners like us. But Lord, that is the good news that we come to hear and to embrace and to live every day of our lives. Lord, it is the only hope by which man will be saved. So Lord, we pray now that you would help us to assess and evaluate the relationships in our lives to see where they're lacking, and to see where they have no grip on the gospel, and that you would make those become a reality to us. Would you change our hearts? Would you melt us with the gospel so that we could move towards others in love? We pray these things in Jesus' name.